0: No, no children's message today. Yeah. You got just a fraction of the motions and the children because although you've seen four children in front of you, there was over thirty something children this week in vacation Bible school, and it was a great powerful week. So today in our time together, the children go to have their church time. We're going to stay in here and do a bit of a recap, if you will, of vacation Bible school. So we're going to set aside our summer series. We've been having of uh, the gleanings through Genesis. We'll go back to that perhaps next Sunday. But today we're going to turn to Philippians chapter three. And we look at three particular verses that was emphasized last week. Perhaps verse 14 been emphasized many than any other, and was our theme verse for the entire week. So today we're going to, if you will, have like a 30-minute vacation Bible school, a little crash course we're all having today. And going to learn a little bit about and hear a little bit about the things that happened last week with Vacation Bible School. And then see how we can also take what we learned and give to our children and now apply to our lives as well. So again, we're in Philippians chapter 3, particularly verses 12 through 14. So stand with me this morning if you're able to do so as we do to simply honor the reading of the Word of God. And we look in Philippians chapter 3 and find three verses. Again, verse 14 be the one with the most emphasis And it says in verse 12, Paul's letter he's writing to the church of Philippi. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize, the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Well, Father, this morning, Lord, we're so thankful for just the great week you had again for Vacation Bible School and how you brought many children, Lord, some of the children here this morning, Lord, performing for us, which we're thankful for, but so many more children last week came and heard the word, Lord, and was fed the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, today we'll share a portion of what we were able to experience last week, and there's some children who came to know Christ. But Lord, we also take a moment this morning, as we recap a few things from last week, to see how the Scripture is not just for children. It's for all children of God. It's for all of us, even as adults. We pray now, Lord, that you lead and guide and direct us into the Scripture we've had today, Lord, and see how that can apply directly to our lives as well. So Lord, we'll be thankful then for what shall happen here today. We love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, of course, Paul now is writing to the Church of Philippi, so we back up just a moment, if you will, before we do any further dissecting of the text and application to recognize that if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, if you heard anything about him at all in all the years maybe you've attended church or heard various messages from wherever you may have gone before, then you probably know that Paul is a very passionate person. In the first introduction we find to Paul, the latter part of Acts chapter 7 does, yes, introduces to Paul as he holds the coats of those who prepared to stone Stephen. But a real introduction to Paul really begins in the 8th chapter of the book of Acts. And we find there then that Paul, sure enough, has zeal. And he's got great determination as at that moment he's really not Paul. He is Saul, who is now seeking to stop any further development or any further effort to make Jesus' name known. I mean, he in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, particularly you find that he was going out house after house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison because he wanted to stop any effort at all possible to further the name of Jesus. So when we get into Acts chapter 9 then, you find that he was, yes, he was intentful, he was purposeful, he was very focused on seeking out what was called the way and ending anything pertaining to Christianity. But that was Saul. And now we read further then and find out, and particularly again in Acts chapter 9, that, of course, he was walking on the road to Damascus. I mean, his intention on in Damascus, as you know, was to make sure he takes these letters to go find out the people who are worshiping, praising, glorifying Jesus, to, to end any effort with that, and he's on this road to Damascus. When suddenly and unexpectedly, The light of the Lord shined upon him and literally blinded him. As the story goes, I mean, he is taken to the house of Ananias and then he is saved and and everything begins to change with Saul. I mean, he becomes Paul. But as you look in verse 15 of Acts chapter 9, we see it was very purposeful, really, by God because now Paul will be the one to carry the voice of the Lord to the Gentiles, to me and you which we should be very grateful for, that Paul was actually the one that God chose to carry us the message of the good news. So that's all about Paul, and you probably knew some of those things. But then now, as you leap into Philippians, you find, you must gather, that Paul has gone through a lot of maturity. He has now grown in his faith. In fact, he's grown tremendously in his faith. Because now, as you get into this particular book, He's proven to be well, a mighty evangelist. He's proven to be a church planter, and now he is even an encourager to others, which is really the essence then of what he's writing to the Philippians. He's writing to help encourage them, which is you know kind of mind-boggling. And when you really find that Paul's situation, that he's now taking a moment to write to people to encourage them in their way and walk with Christ. You got to remember that you know Paul is in prison at this moment when he's writing words of encouragement to the Philippian believers who he loves. He have to remember then that it, it is kind of odd to think that here's a guy who is in prison and been tortured and crucified. i mean, not crucified, but been tormented—simply because he preached the good news. Who now is writing to others for them to stay encouraged? It's something we must admire about Paul. That through any part of his life, through anything he has experienced in his life, he still has such zeal and such determination to make Jesus' name known. He's in prison simply because he has preached Christ in Christ crucified. He, he's been captured, he's been beaten in prison. But yet he stays the course. And we have to admire that. He's not going to let anything deter him to preach the gospel, and the good news, while simultaneously then also encouraging others. So with knowing that and refreshing our minds about what life Paul lived, let's look again at the words that Paul was writing in this text. Again, it's Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, we read it, let's read it once more. He says, not that I had already obtained this, or am I per- already perfect, there is none perfect, he said, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He said, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And again, verse 14, perhaps the one we focused and emphasize the most. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus as you read just three verses of the entire letter, what we find here then is essentially Paul is telling the Philippian believers, and then we read it for ourselves much the same, to never give up. To keep on keeping on. But not just never giving up, and not just giving up on anything or any facet of life. I mean, very specifically and more narrowly, Paul now is especially talking to Christians, talking to believers. And telling them to never give up. And to never give up really on just being a Christian, a follower, a believer. He's saying here to keep on keeping on, press on toward the goal. As a Christian, as a follower, as a disciple, as a believer. Press on for the goal of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. He's saying there is victory ahead. I need you to cross the finish line. And the finish line for all of us is in heaven. That's the prize that's waiting for all of us. That's the message for everyone. That's the message we gave to our children last week. I mean, Paul is communicating that via written form to his brothers and sisters in Philippi. I mean, he's encouraging fellow believers to keep on, to press on when life becomes hard to continue to walk of walk of faith. When life gets hard to be a Christian, he's saying, don't give up on this. Continue to press on and be, move forward with it. And as it so happens to be, in, in, in any analogy that some, often the Paul utilizes, he's comparing it then to the race. And make sure you make it to the finish line. Again, it's a message for all of us. Not just the children, but the children certainly received that message last week. Again, the emphasis of the theme verse for the entire week was to press on for the prize. Paul says, I pressed on toward the goal or the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what our children had to know. That was the theme. That's for all of us to know that as believers, we have to continue to walk the walk of faith. And it's not an easy path. And we had to communicate to our children that they must continue to be loyal to Jesus. Followers. But it's almost putting the cart before the horse. Because as we tell our children, they must be loyal, committed to Christ, even though the world may mock you, make fun of you, it's almost putting the cart before the horse because the first thing really, of course, they have to know is to obtain the prize in heaven One first must become a follower, which is in why the very first day of vacation Bible school, we communicated to the children that every one of us are sinners. You know, that's a word sometimes children don't understand. It's a word sometimes adults don't understand, the word sin. We sometimes don't recognize our sin. Now, we're really good at recognizing other people's, but we're not so good also recognizing the sin that we have in life. But because of our sin, because of the things we do we know we shouldn't do, but we still do, we are then separated from a holy God. But as we told the children real quickly then, with the sin, the bad things you do, look, there's no sin in heaven. If that's the finish line, recognize there's no sin there. Because heaven is a perfect, beautiful, majestic place. It's described as having precious stones Foundation and streets of gold. Revelation talks about how there's no sun or no moon, but nor does it even need it because the glory of God shines continually and gives light. It's our home that awaits the true follower of Christ. But we must emphasize and recognize that there is no sin in heaven, that everything truly is perfect. Revelation chapter 21, verse 27 says, nothing impure will ever enter it. Nothing impure will ever enter heaven, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Which then becomes a problem for, for all of us. Again, not just children, but for all of us, because for all of us have fall short of the glory of God. As Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, We've all sinned, and Paul's short of glory, God. I personally like verse 10 as well and always emphasize it because it tells us there's none the righteous, no, not one. So Paul's correct. We all do those bad things. And we had to have the children as they're scattered around this room to recognize that, yes, I do do bad things. Now, their caliber of doing bad things as a child, you may remember when you were there, maybe years ago, it's not like it is that maybe we do a sin. I mean, when I have Jasper and Anna, my grandchildren, at the house, if Jasper comes up and hits Anna, I mean, that you know he's done the wrong thing. He shouldn't be doing that. And i have to let Jasper know. I mean, he's conducted a bad thing. He's done sin. So they have to put it in their terms to understand that they do these bad things and they have sin in their lives. But as they recognize that they have sin in their lives, we need to let them know that they're imperfect people, all of us are imperfect people. I'm looking at all of you now thinking you're beautiful, right? Yes, say yes. Yes, I'm beautiful. It's the way God created you. But we still have flaws. We still have imperfections. We still have sin. And we're described then actually, I didn't tell the children this necessarily, but we're all described as told in Isaiah 64, 6, that's filthy rags. It says we are all as a clean thing. And all our unrighteousness are as filthy rags. See, we only think we do good, but we really don't do good because there's still sin in our lives. We're still filthy rags. We didn't word it exactly that way for the children. I didn't call any child up here a filthy rag, but I'll let them know, recognize that they have sin in their lives. They're just bad things they do. All of us do. And again, there's no sin in heaven. So it becomes problematic that we have that sin. But fortunately then for you and for me, for children, for all of mankind, there is a God that we serve who is loving and compassionate and provides in a way for us, for our sins to be forgiven, to make us as sinless or perfect as we possibly can be. So as we told our children They must recognize, then, with their sin, the bad things they do. Yes, there is a cost with that. And the cost is extremely high. In fact, Paul wrote in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. But notice, he doesn't just say that, that the wages of sin, the things we do, is death. The word but is there. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Just as Paul had written earlier in the book of Romans in chapter 5, verse 8, God shows his love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Which simply means then you boil all that down for people to understand that Jesus becomes our sponsor. It's a very costly race that we're in. It's very costly that there could be death, but we have a sponsor who can pay our way, and the sponsor's name is Jesus. He can help us. He is the only one who can help us to get to the finish line. Jesus paid our debt in full. We told our children that Jesus is our sponsor. That was the message we began to communicate to them very early last week. Again, it was very fun. It was very powerful. It was adventurous. It was exciting, along with very being very tiresome because it was a long week. But in the end, it was all worth it. It was all worth it. Any effort we ever make to spread the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ is always worth it. It might be sometimes simply planting a seed. Someone else may come along and water it. Someone else may get part of the harvest. But it never is void. It always actually does good. And it's always something we should do. But for us last week, not only was it something that we were doing, planting that seed and watering it, at the end of the week, it began to really turn. You can see how things were actually happening and changing. The children were surely getting into it. The only small, small snippet of four children here today going through some motions. I can guarantee you there's some video on Facebook. If you want to see some things, get on Facebook on Crossroads, and you'll see a lot of children having a lot of fun with everything happening last week. And it was a great atmosphere. And we were in that spiritual high, if you will. And the Holy Spirit was present. And the children were receiving it. They were being fed. And here's what happened ultimately at the end of the week. On Wednesday night, during our time of reflection, our time really of invitation, Ian Brown stood up and recognized he needed to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and make him his sponsor. Ian is probably somewhere this morning at the church he goes to in Evansville preparing for baptism. But it was not just Ian. Momentum carried itself into Thursday. In our lessons we have for Thursday, we always have a skit, we have lessons, we have fun, they have recreation. And during the time of the invitation, there was five more children to stand up on Thursday. Bray McCandless, Daniel White, who couldn't be here this morning because he's not feeling well, Anna Beadle, Electra Thacker, and Brentley Norrington all stood up on Thursday night recognizing they need a sponsor. They need someone to cover their sin. The cost is high, the wages of sin is death. They recognized their sin, recognized the need of the Savior, and said, Jesus, you're the one that can save me. They knew they needed that sponsor, and they stood up and accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. Lord and Savior. Six children during Vacation Bible School came and accepted Christ as Lord. I don't know if I've ever been involved in a Vacation Bible School and, and churches larger than this have ever had that many children on one particular occasion except Christ. So we're, we were the recipients of planting some seeds but also part of the harvest. And it was a great atmosphere. It was fun. And it was tiresome. I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. And when you're still here at 9, 9.30 at night, it's a long day. And it gets pretty tiresome. You did it all week long. But yet, it's all worth it. Because at the end, you see everything happening. It's exciting. It's fun. It's a bit of a revival, if you will, that's happening. But then Friday night ends. And Friday night was powerful. I mean, Friday night's our program. You know, we had the whole racing thing. I did dress still as Roy, the chief mechanic. That's what, you looking at me thinking, dude, do you always dress like this? No, I don't. I mean, but this is Roy, the chief mechanic. So I dressed as the chief mechanic today to kind of finish the skit. I have to go back to being Kurt sometime after this. Sometimes I like Roy better than Kurt. And, and Sheila really hadn't voiced her opinions. So I'm not sure about her. But here's the thing. Friday night was so powerful. It, it came to Wednesday, Thursday with them salvations. And Friday night with a program, but then we had real race car drivers come on Friday night. And it was enthusiastic, it was energetic, it was fun. We had kids it was up here performing different things. When it came time for the program to end Friday night, we have food back here for kids. Kids get excited about food, right? The kids bypassed all that food, ran straight out there to the race cars to talk to the race car drivers who were here and didn't care anything about the food. It was great. It was powerful. It was exciting. It was a great week of vacation Bible school. But vacation Bible school is over. And now the real test begins. You know, many years ago I served as a youth pastor. And we would always take an occasion to take kids to church camp or take them to vacation Bible school and, and things like this. But you know, over the years of being a youth pastor and seeing children and teenagers, even adults, if you will, get passionately excited about a bit of revival about serving Jesus Christ and having Jesus be their Savior, over the years, unfortunately, the pattern begins to develop. That when you believe the confines of the program, the camp atmosphere, Vacation Bible School, even sometimes the church, that things begin to change. That excitement, that passion that they had about Jesus is sometimes challenged because you relieve the parameters of the camp, the excitement, the games, the food, the fun. That passion for Jesus just begins to fade. It's an unfortunate trend I've seen in children, teenagers, and adults over the years. I mean, no life is no longer filled with that that. Daily devotions, the singing, the praising, the Bible stories, the fun skits. I mean, I wasn't up here by myself with Roy. We had Kayla who was Dixie and Colton who was Crash. That's a story in itself. Colton being Crash. I mean, he was a comic. I think he kind of, He may have found a new, you know, new path in life to be a comic, comedian. But we just had that much fun. But then Friday ended. Now we're at least two days removed, Saturday, Sunday, removed from Friday. So life is no longer filled with the daily devotions and the skits and the fun and the singing. So life now slowly begins to happen again. And the enemy then makes his presence known. And the passion for Jesus sometimes slowly begins to fade the world now places its voice, its demands, its suggestions, its images. You can't get away from upon you. So now your faith is challenged. I'm speaking to children, to teenagers, and adults. Now your faith is challenged, and if it's not built and firmly rooted in fertile soil of your heart, it'll begin to wither and die. I mean, it's noticeably that it happens to every age in life. I'm talking about vacation Bible school, but I want you to recognize it's not just vacation Bible school this happens to. It's not just teen church camp. It's every age in life. When we become passionately excited by Jesus, we know we must leave the church, leave the atmosphere of one time or another, and go face the world again, and that's when you're challenged on your faith. Life continues and the world begins to dictate. And the parable of the sower then really begins to to set in to be real. The parable of the sower, you know, found in Matthew chapter 13. The farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering his seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came and ate it up. But the seed, of course, being the word of God. Some fell in the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. The heart really wasn't fully prepared for receiving the word. When the sand came up, the plants were scorched. They withered because they had no root. It didn't take place. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. But yet, still, other seed fell on good, fertile soil prepared in the heart, or produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. That happens. The parable to the sower was indeed an analogy, of course, that Jesus was using. But it happens. It's real. We believe the excitement, enthusiasm, the passion that was so contagious during church or a program like Vacation Bible School or whatever, we always must go back and face the world. So the question really becomes then, well, how can the parable of the sower, I mean, how how can this be avoided? How can we, as followers, keep ourselves and our children even passionate about Jesus? I mean, that's really the million-dollar question, if you will. Because we need to recognize that although we have fun here at Crossroads, although we had Vacation Bible School last week, we were not the only one having fun and having vacation Bible school, I can guarantee you churches across this country during the summertime, particularly in June, were having vacation Bible school like we were. It may not have been the same program, may not have been the same curriculum, but it's always the same. It's always about Jesus. So not everybody, or everybody was actually having some form of vacation Bible school or they're having some sort of church camp during the summer. And then now every church is meeting following that week or that moment on a Sunday morning with a revived spirit. I mean, I'm trying to tell you last week was powerful. Last week was exciting. Last week for me was revival. If you were an adult here last week, and I hope you're feeling the senses from that, it was truly revival to be here last week. And we all need to be revived. I mean, DBS is itself a revival for the entire church. When you have six Children proclaim Christ. That's a revival sent through the church. And we had that. We have that right now. So the question really is, how can we keep that spirit alive? And it's the question that every ministry leader is contemplating this morning or after they have completed a powerful moment when people are passionate about Jesus. Every ministry leader is contemplating that. How can we keep that spirit alive? Then conferences, they gather pastors together for conferences on how to keep the spirit alive in the church. Countless books are written, some better than others, but books are written about how to keep the spirit alive. Every pastor, every leader of church is asking, how can we keep the spirit we felt during vacation Bible school, during church camp, during church itself on a Sunday morning, how can we keep it alive? It's a similar question really to, as adults, how can we always stay revived? Or how can we, here's the question, how can we remain motivated, wholly devoted, passionate about Jesus? Now as that question begins to surface, we need to remind ourselves again, adding the fact we alluded to earlier, that while we're contemplating that question about how we can keep motivated, fully devoted, passionate about Jesus, the world is now making his presence known to you. When you leave church here in a little bit, when we get done, you're going to go face that world again. And that question should enter your mind, how can I stay, remain motivated, fully devoted, excited, passionate about Jesus? When I have to face the ugly, cruel world, how can I stay motivated and true to Jesus. Because we need to recognize, here's the truth: life is hard. Life is very hard, and it's even harder than for a Christian. And that truth has had to be communicated to our children, and to us. Here's a thought we gave to our children last one day last week: It's if you thought it was going to be easy, I didn't say it this way; I wasn't so demanding then, and maybe so excited. But if you thought it was going to be easy being a follower of Jesus, then you got the wrong idea. Sometimes it's hard living the life serving Jesus. There are times when you wonder, if serving God was really worth it? But it is worth it. Because at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Again, it goes back to the theme verse. Press on towards the goal for the prize, the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. So like we had and a performance of a skit for the children, when people are rude, when people are obnoxious, when life gets hard, when life gets difficult, when it knocks you down, when it's challenging, you keep pressing on. You get up. You keep being a follower of Christ. We had to let them know that living to please God is not short-term. It's a lifelong pursuit and a lifelong race. And when it gets hard, keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. So now here we are then. It's over. Life is upon us. Similar, but not yet, as it was for the early Christians that Paul was writing to. I mean, let us not forget, life has never been easy necessarily as being for a Christian. I mean, it wasn't then easy. It wasn't easy then. It ain't necessarily easy now. So Paul then, knowing the difficulty firsthand, because of the experiences he's had in life of being a Christian, he's now informing the Philippian believers, and we apply that into our lives, that we must press on to keep on keeping on. But here, here's the thing: to say that or to read that, that's the easy part. That's easy. I, I can stand here, up here and say that, and, it, and it's easy for me to say that. It, it may be easy for you maybe to hear that. But but how's it how can it be done? I mean, that's the easy part saying it. But the hard question is, how do we then, how do we do it? How do we press forward in the midst of a hard time, in the midst of a controversy, these challenges? Yeah, life is hard, so how does that happen? How can we do it? Well, I thought about that quite a bit this week, actually. But then our, our, our VBS program was so wonderful, it kind of, for me, provided the answer. And while you may be in your mind thinking of how we can do that, it may become a variety of answers, I suggest to you there's truly only one way. And it was one of the things we told the kids on the very last day pertaining to Hebrews 10.25, to let us not give up meeting together, as some are a habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more to see the day approaching. Now you see that behind me, probably written in the NIV, but I learned that long ago, in the King James. And I like just the beginning, really, of the King James. And that's how I refer to it. To not forsake the assembly of the church together. Not forsake the assembly of ourselves together. We should never not want to come to church. We should always want to meet regularly. Because we need to recognize running the race of life with all this difficulties, with all this challenges, cannot be done alone. We can't do this alone. We need a family. We need a church. We need people to help encourage and support us. I mean, when you're alone fighting the life, when I mean, you're easy, prey for the enemy. You need, I need, we all need other believers to help be an encourager. To help us when we are being attacked and when we are helpless. And the church or other believers is where we find encouragement. And the help. To defeat and push back the enemy. So remember, as we define now the way that maybe we can stay motivated, passionate, remember the church is just a building. It's really not the church. The church is you and me. We are the church. Believers are the church. We make up the church. It's not a building. It is us. And when we come to learn to grow and mature, we also should come to help encourage and motivate and help others. Or it's like we worded last week. We told our children, with the whole racing theme, we told our children, when when life begins to get difficult, when life begins to get hard, just take a pit stop. You need a spiritual pit stop to help you in that race of life. And with that race car theme, we just had that analogy and we just ran with it. I'm pretending to be Roy, but let me give you some of the words of Roy. In the skit we had last week, when it came to having that spiritual pit stop, Here's the words that Roy was communicating to the children and to the adults. He said, just like a race car needs to make pit stops, we need to also make pit stops. He says, we're kind of like race cars. We can't keep going and going and going forever. I know you've seen the commercials of Energizer Bunny, right? That dude just goes on and on and on. The Energizer Bunny, does it ever get tired? That's the, whole com- that's the whole idea of the commercial, right? You with me? It keeps going and going and going. What's it do? Going and going and going. There's going to be some really powerful batteries. It keeps going and going, but we're not like that. We can't keep going and going forever. It says sometimes we need to pull off the track or pit stop so it can be refueled and refreshed. Roy was communicating all of us, human beings, need fuel, just like cars do. But the fuel that keeps us running in the race for the eternal crown is God's word. Like Matthew, like Jesus said in Matthew 4.4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He, Royce said we cannot do this race by ourselves. We need other people who believe in Jesus to help us, to help refuel us with God's word, we need people who can show us when we're losing traction in our race with God and who can make us, help make us the preparers we need in our lives. That's why we should make a habit of coming to church every week. He said, church is a time when we can all pull off the race of track and take time to rest in the Lord. It's a time when we can be refueled by having others teach us about God's word as a time when we can enjoy meeting with other people who love Jesus. All those things can give us rest and help us to do better in our race. Simply this, Roy was communicating that we need fellow believers around us. How can we stay motivated? How can we stay passionate? We've got to continue to meet together. He's telling our children, don't give up. Find a church home. It may or may not be crossroads. But you came during the week, you received some seeds, you received the word, you were energized, you are fueled. Life's well, going to get hard when it does take that pit stop and make sure you surround yourselves with other believers who can help you. So how do you press forward during the midst of a hard time and controversy? How can we keep the spirit of Christ alive? How can we even as also be revived ourselves? How can we stay wholly devoted, passionate about Christ? I suggest to you, the author of Hebrews makes it known to us of how every day life is going to present its own challenge. So he tells us that we can be encouraged by being around other people. He says, let us not give up meeting together. Encourage one another. Do not forsake the assembly of ourselves together. The author of Hebrews, albeit unknown, makes really a case for us to recognize that this helps us. In that race throughout life, we have to make that spiritual pit stop. We have to be of the believers to help us be encouraged and stay strong. We cannot do it on ourselves. Just like we told the kids last week, a driver, whether it was Dixie or Crash, can't win that race on their own. They have a pit crew to help them refuel, change the tires, etc. We need a pit crew also. And our pit crew is all of us together in the big church family, helping and encouraging one another. The author of Hebrews makes that known. But also Paul, likewise. I mean, again, he knows how hard life is. So Paul himself also encourages us by reminding us that, again, that that prize stays ahead. I mean, there's two ways here, really. I mean, we must continue to meet together to encourage each other. But at the same time, Paul also didn't say, hey, when life gets really hard, just keep pressing on. To press on even more so when life does get hard and difficult. Again, verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's telling us, keep pressing on. Don't ever give up. As a believer, as a follower, the world's going to get after you. They're not going to let you have an easy life. Satan doesn't want it that way. He doesn't want you to coast. ever hey, he wants you to coast through life. He wants you to give up, to turn back to your old way. That's what Satan loved for you to do. So it's not going to be easy for any of us, regardless of age. So Paul's advice also is worth counsel to keep pressing on. So then today, as we go through a bit of a recap with BBS and now begin to apply it to our lives, the same thing applies to all of us. In the midst of a challenge in life, whether there's financial difficulty, various health concerns, daily demands from work, or simply just staying passionate for Jesus, we must remember to press on, to finish the race, and reach for the prize. And remember this, the prize is available for everyone. It's not exclusive for us gathering here today at Crossroads. The prize is available for everyone, but it's only obtainable for those who truly made Jesus their sponsor. The prize is worth reaching for. It's a finish line like no other. There's a prize that waits ahead for every one of us. John Mark Arthur says believers will not receive the prize, Christ's likeness with all his eternal benefits, until the upper call of God in Christ Jesus ushers them into God's glorious presence in heaven. The finish line is the threshold of heaven where the rewards will be handed out. We have a beautiful prize waiting for. And that can help us stay motivated as well by being reminded of that. The overarching point or the central theme perhaps for Vacation Bible School and even the message today is that while life is often filled with difficult circumstances, we can press on since we know an eternal glorious prize awaits us in heaven with Jesus. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you sense some sort of revival. Because revival is happening. The Spirit is alive. When six children receive Jesus, six out of 30 children receive Jesus in one week, the Spirit is present. It has been powerful. But it's our challenge now to keep that Spirit alive. When life gets hard, don't forsake the assembly. Gather with other believers. Get that spiritual pit stop. And always remember to keep on keeping on and press on for the prize that awaits you. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for just what happened here this morning or what happened during Vacation Bible School. What a great week it was. It wasn't any of us, Lord, doing anything but trying to answer your call and be obedient to your cause. So, Lord, let's just be thankful today, Lord, for how things went and just not take the glory for ourselves, but give the glory straight to you because the, you alone and you only, Lord, really deserve it, the praise, the honor, the glory. Today, Lord, we we give it to you and we just say thank you for a great week, for the message today, Lord, for the hard work that went into with all the decorating, the leaders, the children, even parents and grandparents bringing children back and forth, Lord. There's just greatness throughout the entire week, Lord, and today we're just saying thank you. And we also thank you, Lord, for how we can receive help how we can receive help, Lord, when life does get hard. How can we be encouraged by other believers and how you surround us with love and family. How we're all bonded together with the blood of Christ, Lord. Very strong bond all of us have together. So also thank you, Lord, for the words that Paul has written of how we continue to press on for the prize, the prize that truly awaits us. We can look forward to to receive one day. So we're just today, we're just eternally grateful and thankful. You get the glory, Lord. We're just vessels and instruments for your use. We thank you today for using this as you did. And we pray, Lord, revival would stay here. That even maybe we could would reach out to others and get them revived. It's all for you and your glory. We thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.